In our last episode, we presented simple repetition, which can become quite clever, as it emphasizes a point, tells a story, or takes a philosophical bent. In this episode, the repetition is more complicated, but still powerful. It's Repetition, Part 2. Welcome to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee, with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Writers, Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. We open with four types of repetition, fairly simple to use, even if the official name for each is very complicated. Antistrophe is our first. Anti-opposite against. Strophene to turn is the repetition of a word or phrase at the close of sequential sentences. The word comes out of ancient Greek theater and was originally applied to the chorus when it would return, answering the same but dancing in the opposite direction. Yes, they danced. A statement is made, the phrase occurs. A second statement, the phrase is repeated. A third statement, another repetition. Sounds difficult, doesn't it? Nope. In Mark Antony's speech at Caesar's funeral in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, we have the perfect example of antistrophe with his repetition of, yet Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. By the time Antony finishes his factual examples that disproves Brutus's honor with that sarcastic repetition, Brutus is an honorable man, the crowd has swung in Mark Antony's favor. He needs only tempt them with bribes from Caesar's will and an additional lie or two, and the crowd will do what he wants. Here is Brutus preceding Antony, lacking the emotion that fills Antony's speech and connects him to the surrounding Romans, while Brutus seems too cold, too logical. Who is here so base that would be a bondman? If any speak, for him have I offended. Who is here so rude that would not be a Roman? If any speak. For him have I offended. Who is here so vile that will not love his country? If any speak, for him have I offended. The antistrophe is clear. J.R.R. Tolkien gives us a modern example in The Return of the King when Aragorn speaks to his troops. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of friendship. But it is not this day an hour of wolves and shattered chills when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. Second, a panalepsis. A panalepsis. Yep, epi, which means upon. Anna, which means against or back. Lepsis, taking hold. Thus, the before and the back, the beginning and end of the statement, take hold of each other. A panalepsis is starting and ending a statement of any length with the same word. King's Lear's nothing will come of nothing is a quick example of this ancient Greek term. Shakespeare contrasts the memorable antistrophe of Mark Antony with the more intellectual panalepsis of Brutus. Brutus spoke before Mark Antony, and the crowd accepted his explanation. Then Antony spoke. Here's Brutus. 
Hear me for my cause, and be silent that you may hear. Believe me for mine honor, and have respect to mine honor that you may believe. This can be a powerful rhetorical device when used correctly. Brutus's use is weakened by the length of the repetition's separation. In the following example, Shakespeare allows the apanaleptus to have its power. Men of few words are the best men. That's from Henry IV, Act Three, Scene Two. Third, amplification is building or expanding on a repetition. It will look like incremental repetition, but it actually enlarges on a key word. Amplus meaning large, facere to make or do. Shakespeare again provides our example from Henry V this time. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. And here's a fun example from Black Adder. This is a crisis, a large crisis. In fact, if you've got a moment, it's a 12-story crisis with a magnificent entrance hall carpeting throughout 24-hour portage and an enormous sign on the roof saying, this is a large crisis. A large crisis requires a large plan. Get me two pencils and a pair of underpants. That's from 1989's Black Adder Goes Forth. Fourth is anadiplosis. Anadiplosis, also called duplication or redouble. Anna meaning back, diplon, to double or fold over. In this Greek rhetorical device, the last word of a statement becomes the beginning word in the next statement. From Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Yay, Star Wars! Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. From Herman Wolk's The Cane Mutiny. Aboard my ship, excellent performance is standard. Standard performance is substandard. Substandard performance is not permitted to exist. No wonder they mutinied. This ancient proverb, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. And this from Martin Luther King Jr. in his 1960 speech, Keep moving from this mountain. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. That's the four with fancy terms. We can also use repetition to control the pacing of the ideas on the page. We can slow down or speed up our repetitions using conjunctions. To slow down, we add in more conjunctions than we would normally use. In normal usage, with three or more items in a series, flour, comma, sugar, comma, and salt, we only place a conjunction before the last item. To slow down the speed of the passing items, we add conjunctions between each item. This is the polysyndeton. Poly meaning many, syndotus meaning bound together. Here's an example from Othello using the conjunction or. If there be cords, or knives, or poison, or fire, or suffocating streams, I'll not endure it. Many items can be bound together. The use of the additional conjunction slows not only the reading, but also the speaking. Tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, Shakespeare captures the audience by slowing down the time. Then he follows by creeps, creeps in this petty pace from day to day. We speed up the pace by removing conjunctions. This is the asyndeton, 
Perhaps the best example comes from history with Julius Caesar's Vieni, Vidi, Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. A, meaning not. Sendatos, meaning bound together. Again, normal use places a conjunction before the last item in a series and places a conjunction between two items. In the same speech by Macbeth, we encounter out, out, brief candle. The out, out lacks the usual conjunction between two items. Aristotle gives us an example in his book Rhetoric. This is the villain among you who deceived you, who cheated you, who meant to betray you completely. And here is Vittorino de Feltre from 1405. Not everybody is called to be a lawyer, a physician, a philosopher. But all of us are created for the life of social duty. All of us are responsible for the personal influence which goes out from all of us. De Feltre gives us two asyntotons, first in his list of three professions and then in the following two statements. Normally, we would have a conjunction after the word social duty. Did you notice that De Feltre also has an apanoleptus with the all of us in the last statement? Here is the last stanza of a modern hymn, which uses both pacing devices. The first and third lines use a syndeton. The second line contains the polysyndeton. The third line contains alliteration, another type of repetition. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And that's by Reginald Heber. All of these repetitive devices bind sentences together within the sentence as well as sentence to sentence. That same binding occurs with the next pair of rhetorical devices, the anaphora and the epistrophe, front and back repetition. For the front repetition, we have the anaphora, ana meaning back, the same that we've seen before, and fora to carry back, to bear. The anaphora bears or carries a phrase on. The repetition occurs at the beginning of a series of sentences. One of the most famous examples is Winston Churchill's June 1940 speech. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight in the air. We shall defend our island. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Churchill preceded that speech by one month when he addressed the House of Commons on 13 May. Victory at all cost. Victory in spite of all error. Victory, however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. Thomas Carew, writing around the time of Shakespeare, uses the anaphora to tie his stanzas together in his poem, A Song. Each stanza starts with the phrase, Ask me no more. Ask me no more what Jove bestows when June is past the fading rose. For in your beauties orient deep these flowers as in their causes sleep. Ask me no more whither do stray the golden atoms of the day. For in pure love heaven did prepare these powders to enrich your hair. Ask me no more whither doth haste the nightingale when May is past. For in your sweet divining throat she winters and keeps worn her note. We have two more stanzas of that. Thomas Hood, writing in the early 1800s, has a whimsical point that plays with the anaphora. No sun, no moon, no morn, no noon, no dawn, no dusk, no proper time of day, no sky, no earthly view, no distance looking blue, no road, no street, no t'other side of the way, no tops to any steeple, no recognitions of familiar people, no courtesies for showing them, no knowing them, 
And he goes on for 10 more lines. And then he says, no warmth, no cheerfulness, no healthful ease, no comfortable feel in any member, no shade, no shine, no butterflies, no bees, no fruits, no flowers, no leaves, no birds, no vember. Alfred Lord Tennyson uses the anaphora with great ease in his non-traditional sonnet, Now Sleeps the Crimson Petal. From stanza one, he says, Now sleeps the crimson petal, now the white. Nor waves the cypress in the palace walk, nor winks the gold fin in the porphyry font. Notice lines two and three create a following match through our eyes, as now becomes nor, with a second anaphora, a clever extension of the repetition. Here are the openings to the following stanzas. Now droops the milk-white peacock like a ghost opens two. Three opens with now lies the earth all denied to the stars. Four, now slides the silent meteor on and leaves. And five, now folds the lily all her sweetness up. John Keats' traditional sonnet, When I Have Fears, employs the anaphora to mark each quatrain and each element of Plato's tripartite being, mind and body and soul. When I have fears that I may cease to be. And then the second quatrain, When I behold upon the night-starred face. And the third quatrain, And when I feel, fair creature of an hour. Oration depends upon the anaphora to keep audience attention as the speaker moves through the various points, especially with speeches that run longer than 10 minutes. We've done the front. Now let's talk about the back. Placing the repetition in the lead-off position increases its force. That force, however, is harder to capture when the repetition closes a series of sentences, which is called the epistrophe. Epi meaning upon, strophe meaning a turning. Sometimes the epistrophe is called the epiphora to match its pair, the anaphora, or the antistrophe. Repetition always creates emphasis, no matter the length of the sentences or the stanzas. However, the epistrophe has more power when the sentences are short. From Samuel Beckett's The Unnameable, Where now? Who now? When now? From Julius Caesar by Shakespeare, I should do Brutus wrong and Cassius wrong. When the sentences are longer, the power seems to seep away. This example comes from Robinson Jeffers' Medea. They were full of pride. They ruled all this country. They are down in the ashes, crying like dogs, cowering in the ashes, in their own ashes. With longer sentences, the reading depends upon the power of the actress playing Medea to create the necessary emphasis. Notice the power of the epistrophes and Bassanio's defense to Portia in The Merchant of Venice. Yes, Shakespeare again. Also notice the shortness of the lines. If you have known the virtue of the ring, or half her worthiness that gave the ring, if you did know for whom I gave the ring, and would conceive for what I gave the ring, and how unwillingly I left the ring, when naught will be accepted but the ring, you would abate the strength of your displeasure. Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, which is a speech, uses the epistrophe in short, punchy, prepositional phrases as he concludes that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. We could possibly call the ending or sound of the last line in every stanza of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven epistrophic as the persona works through his loss of Lenore forevermore and more for she will come nevermore, quoth the raven. Whatever repetition device you choose, please don't overwork it. 
Don't ladle in one device after another, thinking that an abundance of devices will improve your writing. Keep a light touch so that everyone can savor the meaning, not the crafting. It's the simple occurrence of repetition that creates power on the page. I haven't discussed Stichiomythia, which Shakespeare uses in Richard III, Diacope, look up Shel Silverstein, Epinomy, memorable in Taxi Driver, and others. All the types of repetition can be fun to explore and try to incorporate. Just remember, keep a light hand. Most importantly, remember the purpose. If an idea doesn't need to be emphasized, then don't have the reader dwell on it. Repetition can be a distraction, which is especially helpful in the mystery genre and the other genres that dip into the mystery elements. You can play to create effect with repetition or drive the reader out of their mind with reading your poem, as Alfred Noyes does in The Highwayman, clip-clop, clip-clop, when the repetition becomes too much. Use repetition to create character tags and emphasize a trait. Use it to develop a setting that will recur. For crime scene images that haunt a character, events in a mono-e-mono battle, workings of a spell, effects of a kiss, repetition of any sort will create the emphasis you need. Next week, we move into the world of opposition. The world is built on opposites, and we'll explore the ones that aid your writing. Our inspiration comes from John Hersey. To be a writer is to throw away a great deal, not to be satisfied, to type again, and then again, and then once more, and over and over. That's a lovely example of the power of using different kinds of repetition. Thanks for listening to The Rock Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.